Welcome back everyone, I hope you're doing good. Today's episode is going to be all about real estate investing after the COVID pandemic. And we also have a guest speaker who will also be joining us. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's get started. So hey everyone, welcome back to the Millennial Investor Podcast. With me, I have Davin Raya. Welcome to the podcast and um, I hope you're doing well. Excellent, it's good to be here. It's great having you here as well. Um, let's start off by you telling us a bit about your research in real estate. Okay, well, um, my interest as a real estate uh, economics uh, scholar is I'm, I'm particularly interested in, I guess, two main areas. First one is looking at real estate public policies, uh, in particular looking at um, public policies that are geared towards uh, affecting uh, housing markets and housing affordability. Um, and uh, evaluating sort of the effectiveness of of such policies. And then uh, another area where I have interest is looking at basically the the micro uh, activities and the effects of of, uh, various uh, real estate shocks and forces on the micro workings of real estate markets. What happens basically at the transaction level or in very localized markets and basically exploring uh, the rich heterogeneity that exists um, in real estate markets uh, at very local levels. Yeah, that's really nice to know. I think that's a really interesting topic and holds a lot of relevance in today's time. So we all understand that real estate, it's a really complicated topic with a lot of factors involved. I think when we met a couple of days ago, I was also telling you how like major news outlets like CNBC and Forbes speaking about how the outlook isn't right for housing markets and how like the conditions are basically replicating the rates from back in 2006 before the major housing crash. But before I go any further on this, what are your views on these headlines? <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, there's certainly they, they put out some of these things and they, they, they have some catchy headlines with some of them, but uh um, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not so bearish about the prospects in, in the housing markets. Uh, certainly, there's been um, a fairly bullish market in, uh, in housing in the past uh, 12 months or even less than a year or so. But I think a lot of that is, is, is not hard to understand. In fact, I think uh, this was anticipated by a number of people even. When you can see what's happening during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, a lot more people are working from home, they're staying home, they're not traveling. Uh, in, even in terms of their broader recreation, a lot more of that is happening at their homes uh, where they actually live. And what that effectively means is, is that for most people in the last year or so, their home now represents a larger proportion of their overall consumption bundle. Basically, it's sort of, we yeah. think of the, a person's consumption bundle as all of the different goods and services that what they will be consuming. Well, their home now represents a much larger proportion of that because rather yeah. than going off to, jetting off to the Caribbean or to Europe for a vacation or even going out to different, um, you know, so sporting events or other things for recreation or commuting to different places of work, their home represents a much larger proportion of all of their activities. And so it's quite understandable that in that time period, people will put a lot more investment into their homes, given that it represents a larger portion of their consumption. 
And so this is exactly what you've seen people doing uh, in the past uh, year or so. People are trying to upgrade the properties that they're in, either by purchasing upward, trying to purchase properties that with larger square footage or just nicer amenities. Or if they can't do that, they're also deciding to renovate and improve the properties that yeah. they're in in order to uh, enhance them, as well as do other things, uh, yeah. purchase other, other amenities, uh, you know, furniture, other things. And we've seen all of these different effects um, affecting real estate markets, as well as the markets for, uh, for other, uh, other home products too as well. So for instance, there've been shortages in, in furniture and new furniture uh, coming into North America in the past year. And we've seen this kind of thing happening. But with all of these different activities, if you have more people putting effectively more money and, and more resources into their homes, then that is going to push up the value of real estate, in particular for homes that have those attractive features. And so effectively what you've seen is a broader shift in resources in the economy basically away from some of the activities that people would have otherwise been able to do. So understandably uh, sectors like the travel sector and certain areas of recreation have, have certainly been hit hard in the pandemic, but those resources haven't just completely disappeared or evaporated from the economy. They've been reallocated towards things related to housing. Yeah. And so it's very understandable that we would see something that would put upward pressure on uh, in-housing markets and where we would see uh, greater appreciations and values in the sector. So uh, even though we've, we certainly have seen um, some uh, dramatic changes in terms of upward shifts and, and, and demand for, for housing in the past year, I think that's quite understandable given the circumstances oh, yeah. and how the economy has been operating during this pandemic. I think one industry that's really feeded off the rise in real estate prices and the rise in housing market is the home automation industry that has completely taken off in the past year, according to many, many reports. And like you've been saying, there's so many factors involved in real estate, which is why I wanted to bring in someone whose research is much more data driven and can give an unbiased opinion on real estate as an asset class, which is the most important thing here, because at the end of the day, we're all about making money through investments. And if carried out properly, real estate is a great way to earn money as an investment. So I'd just like to start off by asking you, why did the COVID-19 pandemic cause such a big gain in real estate prices compared to the recessions before? And how do you think this specific crisis differed from residential and commercial property? So yeah, to answer sort of the first first broader question in terms of um, you know broader asset classes. So some of that I was just explaining in terms of you know the massive shift in resources towards uh, things related, uh, in particular to residential real estate. So I think a lot of that's to be expected. Uh, I would say, especially maybe earlier on in the pandemic, there was a lot of broader uncertainty as to what the effects on the economy were going to be. I think a, lo a, a lot more of that has been resolved in, in more recent months. But again, if you can think back 12 months, uh, you know, the stock market was taking uh, uh, quite a hammering, uh, say, in March uh, and April 2020. Um, certainly there was a big flight to safety as well in terms of, uh, people moving into buying, uh, treasury bonds and other, uh, safer fixed income assets too, as well. Um, 
And so there, there was certainly through, through large periods of the pandemic, uh, a lot of uncertainty as to who were going to sort of be the, the, benef- the, the, the businesses that would be able to uh, you know, not only thrive, but even survive uh, the shock of the pandemic itself. And so uh, that created some other uh, issues in terms of just creating a lot of uncertainty with that. But I think a lot more of that has been resolved um, in recent months, and that's why we've seen uh, larger upticks in, in a broader variety of uh, different assets. In terms of uh, talking about the difference on the effects between uh, commercial and residential real estate uh, as it pertains to investments or otherwise, uh, uh, certainly yeah, the, the bigger boom that we've seen has been largely in the uh, residential real estate sector. The commercial real estate sector is still one where there's tremendous um, uncertainty even going forward. I mean, you hear some people talk about these things about, uh, you know, urban flight or or other things yeah. where working from home might become more permanent and, and, and so forth. And there's certainly going to be a, 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 some extent to which that's going to happen. Um, but at the same time, it's... It, it, some of the uh, perspectives on that are, are perhaps overstated uh, a little bit too as well. Uh, I would say that the, the only thing that this affects things in terms of the uncertainty is that we, we really don't know exactly what the new new normal is going to look like. That is the post-pandemic post normal yeah. uh, and how that will affect commercial real estate things. Now, I, I fully anticipate that there will be, um, you know, a, the, the new new normal will uh, bear a lot of resemblance to things pre-pandemic, but it obviously won't go back completely to the way things were. There will obviously be people that will uh, be able to uh, work from home uh, in a different way uh, than they did before the pandemic. And of course, uh, the pandemic has brought on a number of new ideas about how people can manage their, their workforce and uh, operate a little differently and, and um, in some ways more effectively uh, through remote work and so forth. So I guess the big challenge there in the commercial real estate sector is that even though, even though you might anticipate things returning to closer to pre-pandemic sort of normal activities, you really just don't know exactly how far it's going to go back to that. And of course, much of the way commercial real estate is uh, currently structured was based upon uh, pre-pandemic uh, sort of uh, yeah. practices. So we're just going to have to wait and see exactly how that pans out. So while we can sort of say that, okay, the, the pandemic's effect on residential real estate is certainly one where we can see more resources being poured into that and, and a, a corresponding um uh, increase in value in, in residential real estate. It's not quite as clear that you would see uh, something similar with commercial real estate. And again, with that, some of that might even just be changes that are sort of transitory in nature. There, there's going to be reallocations, uh, so to speak, uh, in commercial real estate. What I mean by that is it's not that you'll necessarily see, you know, uh, <laughs> core commercial areas like, you know, Manhattan or something like that's going to completely hollow out and go away. 
But what might be a bigger change is that you will see uh, the types of spaces being used, occupied, uh, or being used in different ways. So there might be fewer of uh, this or that particular business, uh, but more of some other ones that emerge out to, to go in these spaces. And we have to keep in mind that um, just because there is this work from home stuff, or even though technology has improved with these things, there are fundamental economic reasons why these downtown uh, urban areas and commercial yeah. centers exist. There are tremendous economic benefits of agglomeration and co-location uh, that, uh, you know, do not vanish uh, even as a result of the pandemic or even some of our new discovered um, technologies and practices. So there are still economic forces that will drive people together and to co-locate. And it's just sort of a question of, um, for which sort of industries or businesses uh, and even cities are those forces going to continue to be strongest and um, what kinds of shifts will we see in the, in the commercial real estate sector? So basically to all the listeners who are completely bearish on commercial spaces in high profile places like Manhattan and uh, Silicon Valley, they will eventually get back to what they were, maybe not in the same way, but it will recover. And at the end of the day, like you said, there was a reason we created a base at that point. And the community that's made over there, it does benefit everyone in their own way. So. And another thing to keep in mind too, as well throughout this, and again, this speaks directly to where my research is at. As I mentioned, uh, one of my great interests is looking at uh, the micro level impacts of different shocks and in particular on the heterogeneity. We have to keep in that mind of that with real estate. Most of the time, the biggest effects that happen in real estate markets are not an overall aggregate level up or down to real estate markets. Yeah. It's not too typical that you see a broader, say, crash like uh, what happened in 2007 uh, in the United States or, you know, also happened in, in previous episodes and in, in different decades and so forth. It's usually not the case that the entire market goes up or down by a certain level. That's often not the most significant effect. The bigger effects that are happening are often at the micro level. They're the shifts within the, the real estate sector. The fact that certain types of assets or in certain assets in certain locations gain value where other ones lose value or the types of spaces that are being used change in a, in a particular way in terms of how they're used. That's where the richer behavior often happens. And we see this happening also even during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. Because again, as we pointed out, there hasn't been any uh, major uh, you know, uh, housing market crash like some people were concerned about yeah. uh, in the first quarter of 2020. In fact, the bigger shifts that have happened have come from the fact that there's been this, these reallocations happening. Uh, and that's where often the, you know, the, the biggest effects are actually coming is at this micro level rather than at the macro level. So speaking more on the micro level of real estate, I'd like to speak a bit more about the concept of urban flight and how it affects residential properties. Yeah, so absolutely. This is something that we've sort of seen to a certain extent. People uh, certainly expressing a greater preference for uh, larger spaces or open spaces and basically also expressing a 
preference for a different set of amenities than they would have uh, in, in pre-pandemic times. Now, you have to keep in mind that uh, as things transition uh, into a post-pandemic period where things return to normal, uh, the draw of those conventional amenities is certainly going to return. So again, we can think of you know, some of the benefits of living in a, in a major commercial center is that, you know, you have close proximity to not only where you work, but also a lot of other consumption amenities, like proximity to a major sports team or sporting events, um, concerts, museums, art galleries, you know, all sorts of different yeah. broader um, public amenities. Uh, most of which of these things have been closed down or restricted in some way uh, throughout the pandemic. So basically the value um, associated with being located close to these amenities has fallen greatly during the pandemic. But if things return back to normal, which they eventually will, um, the value of that increases again. And so the benefits of being located to those types of amenities uh, will rise again uh, as well. And so in the longer run, it's it's hard to say because again, there's there's going to be potentially some tensions with exactly what's the nature of the recovery in the commercial real estate sector and so forth. But at the same time, it's even possible to envision a, a, a different way in which this operates, in which in in, in which you could have people co-locating, uh, not so much for having a proximity to work in the same way as before, but having a closer proximity to recreational amenities in a way that didn't happen uh, even pre-pandemic. So for instance, as I was saying, in the recovery, there could be a major shift and reallocation in commercial real estate spaces. And perhaps one, one possibility or one scenario that could happen is uh, suppose fewer businesses want to hold commercial real estate um, spaces for office space because they can have more of their workforce working remotely. Well, that opens up potentially commercial real estate spaces to fulfill um, other different purposes. And maybe some of those spaces could be repurposed towards uh, recreational spaces of some type or entertainment or whatever it might be. Um, all of those things are, are, are amenities that could draw people to locating close to those things. So even if there isn't necessarily that um, commute-driven or work-driven reason to locate in a particular area, there are other reasons that would draw people to agglomerate in certain geographies and in certain areas or in certain cities. So again, uh, you know, I don't think the return to normal necessarily makes the strength of agglomeration economies any less important than they were, but it might change the nature of the types of things that draw people to co-locate in certain areas. Um, and so again, some of the shifts that we could see in real estate um, aren't so much level shifts where we just sort of see, okay, this overall market goes up or down by X percent or X amount. I think the bigger changes that we'll see is just more qualitative shifts in the types of things that are drawing people uh, and the types of activities that uh, draw clusters of people together. But I would you know, be a little bit more skeptical of sort of saying, well, space, location, all of these other things don't matter as much anymore. And there isn't as much of a, a reason for people to agglomerate. Uh, I would say that uh, views in that line are, are, are probably overstating and not recognizing that uh, these kinds of forces that draw people together 
are, are going to continue to be important even in a post-pandemic world. Do you feel that we as a society are too, we're too obsessed with things going back to normal per se, that we haven't been able to fathom that it will go back to something, but it won't go back to the normal that we have expected and it'll create a completely new housing or real estate market, which will do well in its own way, but won't be what we consider as normal. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, there's there's no going back in a, in a certain yeah. way. I mean, we've, we've certain discovered some ways, uh, but I think for the most part, that's going to be that's going to be perfectly fine. Uh, to the extent that the pandemic has at least uh, allowed us to sc- discover some new mm-hmm. possibilities and new ways of being able to operate and and conduct business or conduct our personal lives. Yeah. And so forth, and and harness technologies in, in new and interesting ways. Uh, certainly, there'll be differences uh, in the world just from that. But at the same time, it's a, I, I I wouldn't say that it's a doom and gloom type scenario in any okay, way. Things will be a little bit different uh, for sure. But at the same time, uh, you know the types of uh, activities that people engage in will will certainly uh, change as well and, and go back to something that yeah. that uh that has some resemblance to the way things were before i mean the pandemic was a life-changing experience for everyone so it will go back to great days but it won't be the same kind of great days we experienced before because we have all learned something or another from the pandemic whether that be in housing or any other asset class and we've spoken a lot about house prices um commercial residential in the city in the suburbs But I want to shift our focus to real estate directly as an investment. To start off this conversation, I'd like to compare real estate to a few other popular asset classes. So let's take equity and gold, for example. Yeah, so there are a variety of ways in which you can invest in real estate. So it's... So there's basically a few approaches that one could take to it. And I guess I can outline sort of broadly two of them. And this changes the nature of of how easy it is to invest, um, especially for someone that's, say, uh, coming out of college or university, sort of embarking upon their career and so forth. So the conventional way in which one invests in real estate is obviously through buying and purchasing an actual property oneself. Yes. And, and the, the challenge with that, of course, is that not only is it expensive, but there's a lot of transaction costs associated with doing that. Anytime yeah. you purchase a particular property, uh, there's a lot of closing costs and, and other things that are involved with um, you know, engaging in that transaction in addition to just the large um, sticker price with that. And there's also the other added challenge that, again, for most people that are just embarking upon their career, if you do make a significant real estate investment of that nature from buying a property, uh, you're not necessarily very well diversified in terms of your portfolio of assets. You're probably going to have a lot uh, of your uh, net worth tied up in that particular real estate asset. And that can pose a certain amount of riskiness to it. Uh, And even just beyond the risk, as I mentioned, Mm. large transaction costs, if you have have a need to change your, um, your mix of your investments to as well. So that poses certain challenges, but at the same time, you have to keep in mind, everyone needs a place to live too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's, it's, it's not as if someone, uh, you know, you, you don't have too many choices on that yet. You have to have a place to live. So 
the fact that you have certain costs and expenses associated with that can make investing and purchasing a property for say your own residence um, also a sensible investment in many circumstances too as well. That said, there are alternative ways of investing in real estate beyond this conventional route of purchasing uh, properties yourself. And I would say the most common one is, is through purchasing um, REITs. REITs yes. And so that's, that's another very attractive way. And some of the, there's several benefits that differentiate it from the conventional path of, of buying a property. Uh, first off is that the transaction costs with that are considerably lower. You can basically buy and sell these just like you would with, with most other common equity and, and, and uh, other investments that you can make uh, uh, financial in nature. The other thing with that that's often beneficial is you can be a lot more diversified in the portfolio of real estate uh, properties that you're investing in uh, through that larger pool. Uh, it's a lot more liquid to be able to get in and out of and uh, or even just change around the mix uh, of investments that you might otherwise have with it. Uh, the only other challenge or downside that you have with it is that you can't live in a REIT. So yeah. uh, you're going to have that, that challenge. It's yes. not going to satisfy in terms of being able to supply you with that needed uh, um, uh, housing uh, service that, you, that everyone needs. So for a passive investor who wants to expand to real estate, REITs seem like the perfect option, right? Yeah, I would say that, yeah, especially for, for someone who's really embarking on their career or starting mm-hmm. out, that's, that's, that's probably the easiest way of yeah. getting into uh, real estate investments and, and investing in that. Now, there are all other alternatives too as well. You know, as we said, that real estate's a really a massive proportion oh, yeah. of the economy and really is almost everywhere that you go. Yeah. So you can go even beyond just um, investing in the properties themselves, but also even uh, invest in uh, services or companies or industries that, uh, that directly benefit from the real estate sector mm-hmm. itself. So for instance, there are a lot of financial firms that deal with mortgages and other things related okay. to uh, housing finance that are also uh, things that you can invest in that correlate uh, a great deal with the with the real estate sector and how real estate is performing in the country or around the world. Um, there are other businesses out there that also, again, uh, correlate with with real estate, uh, in particular in residential construction or real estate development and, and a lot of these other areas too as well. Uh, certainly even these days, we've seen that there's been an interesting challenge with shortages of lumber yeah. which have uh, affected a number of different industries. And of course, that's also a major input towards the construction of real estate, especially yeah. in, in the United States uh, too as well. That's a major input, but it illustrates something where you can see how uh, you can make investments in a particularly important input for say housing construction. And that's another way or another angle uh, through which you can be invested in real estate as well doesn't have to just be through um, investing in the properties or even REITs. Uh, there's a whole host of industries uh, that are directly related uh, to real estate um, and, and the broader industry. And, and those uh, can also be alternative ways in which you can have investments, uh, again, of maybe conventional types like equities and so forth but also give you another perspective on it. They can allow you to be diversified in a different kind of way 
uh, than conventional REITs uh, and also can uh, potentially afford sort of other broader benefits from giving your portfolio um, another sort of uh, dimension uh, than, than just sort of investing in pure REITs. Absolutely. I think it's a great strategy and investing in these financial firms and REITs, basically, I think it also provides a really liquid option to investors who want to get in and get out quick. So that's probably another advantage as well. So with that, I feel like we've covered most of the topics required today. I'm honestly really happy with everything we've spoken about. I think it'll really help anyone who wants to invest in real estate and who wants to start their journey because I feel too many people invest in this asset without a clear strategy and providing these projections of how the industry will be like in the next 5-10 years would really help these investors in the beginning of their journey. So yeah, real estate is definitely a really unique asset class compared to the others, which can have a really high potential upside if you know how to invest in it. Thank you so much for coming today. It was honestly a pleasure hosting you. Excellent. I enjoyed this. All right, everyone, this was the end of episode six of our podcast, and I'm sure each of you have gained some insightful information about the future of the real estate market. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode, and I really do hope you enjoyed it. Also, remember to please leave a review if you like what you're listening to and give us a follow on Instagram. With that, I'd just like to end by saying stay safe and have a great rest of your day. Thank you.